Welcome to the Nonprofit Voice Tech Series, a special edition of the Nonprofit Voice Podcast, hosted by Mark Becker, founding partner of Cathexis Partners and editorial advisory board member of Nonprofit Pro. In each episode of this monthly installment, Mark will have conversations with prominent nonprofit organizations and industry thought leaders to learn more about different technology offerings in the marketplace. Join us and together we will learn more about these innovative digital tools and how to navigate the rapidly evolving technology landscape. All right. Hello again, everybody. Uh, Mark Becker here, the founding partner of Cathexis Partners. Um, I am joined today by Kristen and Mitch, um, and I'm going to allow them to uh, let them introduce themselves. Kristen, you want to go go ahead and kick it off? Sounds great. Thanks for having us, Mark. Uh, my name is Kristen Giant. I am the chief growth officer at Pond, and I have spent my entire career and, frankly, my entire life in the nonprofit and impact sector. Um, I grew up with two parents working for nonprofits and I followed in their footsteps. I'm an attorney with a passion for bringing kind of the efficiencies of the for-profit sector to the heart and passion of the nonprofit sector. And I'm really excited to chat today. Great, and Mitch? Thank you, thanks Mark. And thank you, Kristen, for kicking it off. Uh, my name is Mitch Stein. I'm one of the co-founders of Pond and the, the CEO and Chief Impact Officer um, I had a more roundabout way of getting to the sector than Kristen here, but my background was originally as an investment banker, uh, so a little unusual probably for joining your podcast, Mark, but um, about a year and a half ago, I decided to leave um, the banking world behind as I had just seen firsthand some problems in the nonprofit space that really kept me up at night, which I feel like is the the, the common thread for any founder story is there's just that thing that you can't go on existing in the world without uh, doing your best to try and solve. And for me, it was seeing how challenging it was for a nonprofit I worked with to find and leverage good tech in their own fundraising. Um, I started asking around to folks to see like, you know, I love these folks, but is this, is this a, they, a them problem or is this something broader? And it clearly was something much broader in this space that even well-resourced, well-funded organizations had so much inefficiency in finding and leveraging good tools and technology. Um, that it it was completely inaccessible for the vast majority of organizations and the sector doing incredible work around the country and around the world, quite frankly. So that was the inspiration to do something about it. And my job was covering a lot of marketplace businesses. Uh, and I thought that we could really um, bring a solution to bear in what I like to call a market solution, something that's sustainable. It is um, not reliant on one company building one great product. It's about building the infrastructure and the marketplace that helps tons of companies build tons of great products to serve you know the millions of missions around the country so that was really the inspiration behind pond and i'm excited to talk about all things tech and all uh all the myths around technology today that hopefully we can do some myth busting with you today mark so a lawyer uh an investment banker and an it project manager walk into a podcast and here we are <laughs> that, that People definitely just sounds turned like off the app. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we didn't just immediately lose everybody from the conversation. <laughs> 
I think it's great because you come from different, you know, perspectives, as did I, because I originally was a, a corporate IT project manager before I went into the nonprofit space. And uh, I started going to nonprofit conferences um, and talking to staffers and, and hearing their woes about the technology that they, they had, you know, and how how cumbersome it could be and, and all the, the hassles and uh, issues they, they have with it. And I realized, oh, I think I can help with this. And that's what got me involved. So I think it's, this is a great group to, to cover this, this topic of demystifying nonprofit tech, right? Um, so yeah, Mitch, you kind of, I think you shared with me in advance some, some common myths. Do you want to kind of talk through, get the, get the party started on this conversation? Yeah, I'm happy to. And I would also, uh, I think Kristen's seen a lot of this firsthand. So I'd invite her to share some of the like, you might call them personas, I'd call them like lived experiences of the people that, that we see experiencing these things. Um, but, you know, I think for context, we really started Pond to lower the barriers to better tech usage for the whole sector and not just those who can afford it. Um, and I think those barriers are always a mix of real and perceived limitations um, and often perception is reality. So I think we call attention to some of those perceived limitations while we believe our platform is helping to lower some of the real uh, and systemic limitations. So um, one of the big uh, limitations that we find people put on themselves in the sector is the classic, I'm not a tech person. Um, I think when you're, I would forget the exact stat, it's like 90% of nonprofits are fewer than 50 people or what, whatever the, the, the number is. It's like when you're at an organization size that small, um, and you all are wearing so many hats. You, you, you are a tech person. You can decide whether you want to like embrace that and get the most out of it, or you can be passively the receiver of the tools the organization uses. Um, I think it also is joined by common expressions like, I'm not tech savvy, or I'm too blank for new tools. You know, fill in the blank with your own insecurities. Um, and, and I think that tech is really that trigger word. It's intimidating, it's othering, um, you know, it's, it, if you've been in the nonprofit space for a long time, the best tools and products probably weren't available to you historically or designed for you. So it, it just doesn't feel very welcoming. Um, I and I think, I'm sorry, if go I ahead, can Mitch. interrupt, um, Mitch, it was really nice of you to give me permission to talk and mission. Mitch has worked with me long enough to know that what I really need is permission to shut up most of the time, <laughs> <laughs> but I think the flip side, and I'm, I'm so glad that we started with this one is yes, there are some um, weaknesses that cause people not to think they're tech people and in the sector, there are strengths that cause people not to think they're a tech person. So it is the most human centered person centered sector out there. And I think people will, you know, they might say I'm too old for tech or I'm not smart enough for tech, but they also might say, I love my donors too much to put tech between us. I love my constituents too much to put tech between us. So just to add that, that nuance that people might have a negative reason for not thinking they're a tech person. And they also might have an affirmative or positive reason for not engaging with tech specifically with those really important donors um, and that donor engagement piece of it, where they think uh, if I put tech in between me and people, it will do a disservice to that relationship. 
I like it. Yeah. I mean, the term accidental techie, that should be like a badge of honor, right? I mean, we're all accidental techies um, or, or, you know, it, it's your main main gig um, and not your, but it's everybody's side hustle, um, like it or not, especially in in this, you know, in this world we find ourselves these days um, more so than ever. So it's really important to embrace it. And um yeah, you know, it is it, it is disheartening when I hear people say, oh, I just I don't you know, I mean, I still occasionally run into people. I don't get the Internet. I, I just, you know, you know, someone else that's someone else's thing. Well, OK, but, you know, that <laughs> you can't you can't live that way in this world and, and get very far or or really, you know, find find your true goals if, if you're not embracing technology. I love when people say I don't believe in. Right tech or I don't believe in the internet. And I, I love just getting to say like, actually it exists independent of your belief in it. <laughs> it doesn't exactly. require you to believe in it. For it to be, <laughs> it's going to be, be there real. anyways. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great point. And yeah, I mean, with, with everything going on, you know, I mean, even the virtual workspace requires people to be a lot more technical, right? And there's a lot of companies that forever, uh, we see a lot of our, our clients that are, are moving to virtual, um, even if it's just a few days a week, they're like, yeah, I don't need to be in the office. And we've been virtual since before it was cool, um, since we started the company. So we know, you know, how, uh, powerful empowering it can be and how much more you can get done and still have a family life and still run your kids around i don't happen to have any kids but i hear it's a thing um and uh they too exist just um, because you don't <laughs> believe in kids mark <laughs> right right well i also live next door to disney world so it's hard not to believe they exist um <laughs> but yeah it's 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 impossible to ignore technology and and uh you know everybody has to hopefully embrace it to some degree right yeah, and I think the empowerment piece that you bring up that sort of just happened without anyone having a like say about it <laughs> during the pandemic was is is really important because that's that's what you're excluding by the comment I'm not a tech person. You're you're missing out on the empowerment that comes from it. And I think there's been such a proliferation of tools and and tech becoming more accessible and manageable and it's no longer just like the CRM, right, is like the end all be all tech thing that like, maybe I don't want anything to do with maybe I do, but that's all there is for nonprofit tech. Um, and I think that that leads me to what I would flag as the biggest second myth, which is, we don't have any tech needs. And I think it's, it's obviously very tied into I'm not a tech person, because if you don't have the perspective um, of what of your needs could be solved with technology or bolstered with your goals bolstered with technology. Um, I think that that intimidation is tough to, to overcome and recognizing, you know, I could frame any problem, any goal, any issue at an organization through the lens of, oh, I wonder what tools are out there that could help with this. It's not saying you need to all of a sudden stack up like 25 things, but you should be aware of the things that are out there and what you could use. And that's a strategic thing. That is not a tech thing. That is just a a resource allocation strategic decision for your organization, I, I am aware of what's there, I'm empowered by that knowledge, and I'm making a decision to use it or not, but at least I know. Yeah, really good point. And, you know, you've mentioned, you know, 25 things, you know, I don't, I don't need them or whatever. And I bet you if anybody in the organization takes a, a brief 
um, even a small organization takes an inventory of what you have. And by the way, you should do this um, and make sure you have all the admin usernames and passwords for things like your social media, your organization, social media accounts, your, your website, who all has access to administer your website. Do you even, anybody at the organization have access to it? Um, it might not be, you know, um, something that you're thinking of. Uh, but yeah, definitely need to make sure that you even know what, technology is running your organization. I'm so glad you mentioned that because one of the first things that I always share, and this is actually, I think, urgently more important for a small nonprofit is that tech audit. And if you've read any of Cal Newport's work in kind of the space of attention, specifically his book, Deep Work, you recognize that it's the, um, it's the things that you do that you didn't intentionally choose to do that destroy your ability to go deep into your mission and deep into your strategy and deep into your effectiveness. So I, I echo what you said to encourage nonprofits, especially one person shops, five person shops, 10 person shops to get together as a team. And actually uh, our startup did this one of my first weeks. And after like 15 minutes, we had 35, 40 different tech tools that you know, maybe one person was using or maybe Mitch had adopted when it was just him and he hadn't logged in in six months. But that noise affects your ability to perform. That, that like latent buzzing of we have 40 tools that none of us really understand, but that are still a burden on our time and are still taking up the space where we might be able to uh, create a new program that will uh, maximize our mission, but instead we're logging into these 15 different content management system and social media scheduling. And also we're, we're posting directly because we don't use the social media schedule, but we have to log into it before the board meeting because the board likes to see our plan for August. So then we spend an entire day at the end of July logged in, even though we know we're going to post natively, that noise starts to have a negative effect on your ability to, uh, to dig into your mission. And, you know, one of the things we, we're obviously encouraging people to get on tech um, but we encourage people to audit your problems as well, because what problem are you solving with tech that you oughtn't be? And then what problem are you not solving well, with tech that you ought to be? So we're, uh, you know, we're the Ariana Grande of tech too, where we're like, break up with your tech tools if you need to. Like, it's okay. You can break up with them. We're not just saying add more and more. We're saying be thoughtful and intentional with each choice that you have. And we have to look in the mirror on that about once a week ourselves. <laughs> Well said. I like that a lot. Um, even the Ariana Grande uh, reference. Well done. Drop that in within the first 15 minutes. I like it. Good job. <laughs> Mitch, any other thoughts on this? Yeah, I was just going to add that I think doing the audit alongside like kind of a strategy goal audit, uh, just a look in the mirror of like, what is it that we need? Because we do this all the time. You know, we're talking to nonprofits joining Pond every day. And you do get a, you get a good mix of people and, and for folks background, the way Pond works is nonprofits can create a free profile, share their needs. Um, we share that with kind of the vendor tech provider universe uh, to look at those needs. And if they think they're a good match to solve them, they can reach out and actually pay the nonprofit some money to pitch them. And that money goes in their account on Pond to spend on those tools. So we're kind of flipping the normal shopping experience on its head and making it more like a dating app that also actually compensates the nonprofit for their time. Um, and so we end up doing a lot of counseling with nonprofit members who sometimes they're like, yep, we need a new CRM. I wanted to do X, Y, Z. Um, uh, we've had this before. We didn't like it. We want to do this. this is where folks are like, they know everything they need. And so it's super efficient. We can share that with all the CRM providers on Pond. 
they're going to know where their rights plug in and it's good for them to chat and boom, 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 they can go from there. But a lot of the time it's like a version of we don't have any tech needs where maybe they're one step further along where they're like, I'm sure there's something <laughs> out there, but these are the other 12 things I do day to day. And I don't, I don't have time to be like surfing the web, reading all of Mark Becker's like, uh, you know, 40 product comparisons around peer-to-peer -peer fundraising, which Mark, by the way, that was one of the first resources I came across when I <laughs> left my last job to start Pond. And I was like, this is amazing. And it needs to live in a system. We need to like systematize this. So Mark doesn't have to do all, all the legwork. I agree. Every other Thank year. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. And it was just such a good point of evidence that like someone looking at that, and that was just one product area, right? That was one peer-to-peer mm -hmm. um, -peer fundraising tools. And Kristen probably mentioned another 10 things nonprofits use in one minute. Um, how can anyone understand the landscape across all these areas? So um, another big area is someone just giving voice to a need or a problem and not worrying about knowing the answer. There's sort of like this expectation that people, you're gonna, you need to know what the thing is that solves your problem before you can give voice to the problem. And what we love about the Pond platform is just meeting people where they are to say like, look, I don't know what the tool is or what's out there, but we need a lot of help with donor engagement. We're seeing a lot of churn. We're not getting much retention particularly amongst younger donors, like what's out there that people are using that works well. And all of a sudden they're finding out about like, oh, wow, I didn't know there were robots that could write my thank you cards for me <laughs> with my own handwriting. Or I didn't know I could be sending personal videos to thousands of donors, like they were a major donor. And there are all these kinds of tools through Pond that can, can help you do that. So I would just say that the antidote to we don't have any tech needs is just saying what your needs are and not worrying about framing them around technology. I like it. And then um, I think your third tip was, or third myth was tech is someone else's job, right? Um, and uh, so, so true, right? Everybody's job is, is that to some degree. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, I, I think when we are uncomfortable with something, um, there's a real bias to, and this, I'm speaking from experience, saying there's a lot of commonalities between a startup and, and most nonprofits. Um, there's a bias towards you want to be doing something. You feel like a constant pressure to be doing activity. And we're always biased to do the thing that's more comfortable. And for so many people in the nonprofit space, they are like crazy passionate about their mission, but they did not necessarily sign up for this work because they wanted to be evaluating, uh, you know, CRMs or fundraising tools or, or things that feel more techie. And so there's a temptation to say that someone else's job, I'm not a part of it. And I think what, you know, getting back to our um, discussion earlier around the strategic nature of all of this and, you know, being aware of what's out there, you know, one small example, we had an organization who was like, oh yeah, we've got someone on my board, they're an engineer. So like, we're kind of covered on the tech front. I don't have to worry about it. And they're like, so when we needed uh, to develop this like community platform, they were able to find a developer who did it super cheap for us. It was only like, you know, $15,000. And I'm just listening to that and I'm like, okay, but also there, you know, did you like test it beforehand? Was there a way for you to use a more out of the box solution? Because those things exist out there that could be like 50 bucks a month for you to trial and get some evidence around. So when, when you, you, when you kind of wholesale, put it into someone else's camp, they're not going to have all of the context and understanding and strategic priorities of your organization 
to be, to be more thoughtful around those decisions. And so it doesn't mean you need to spend all day on it, but like staying up to date in efficient ways and just being plugged in is huge because the, guess what? The pandemic is still evolving. Like virtual is going to keep evolving. Tech is going to keep becoming more important to your organization, not less. I think if I could add some additional color there as well, um, if you've had a roommate, including a spouse, someone else's job often means no one's job if your communication isn't flawless, right? Someone else's job means not my job and might mean no one's job. And one of the areas, you know, um, Mitch's example about the board member that was an engineer, that person, if you listed their name, would become the most sought after engineer on a board in America. Because guess what most engineers on boards do when they need a new website? screen the calls from the ED because they don't have time to design a website for, for a nonprofit in addition to their day job. And I think where we see the, the drag, um, the, the real inertia problem is it's not my job becomes not choosing. Um, so I'm, this, is, this is where I think I am like the ideal sort of persona for Pond and why I'm really passionate in my role of getting nonprofits on is I was the hungry, um, I don't know what, you know, you, you, you don't want to hire me because I'm a lawyer and I'm asking to fill this $30,000 a year job, but I'm really passionate about this. And don't worry, I can also code. And I also know how to use six different CRMs and I can do X, Y, Z because I've learned it because I had to, right? Whether it's through board service or a role or for my own personal exploits. And that idea that if, no, that if, that if someone doesn't take ownership of it, no one does it, results in nonprofit websites being, and this is, we see this all the time, looking like they were designed in, um, what's the, in geosites in the 1980s. And it's, it's not that hard. It's, it's actually not that hard. It's the idea of no choice is a choice. No choice is a choice. Not your job is your job, right? You're just neglecting it. And I think it becomes, um, it becomes a, you know, Mitch said, I didn't get into this to design websites. But if your website is mission critical to your mission, then you did get in this business to design websites. And our goal, you know, our hope is that people will get over that hump of it's not my job. Because of course, there's there's probably a fear or a scarcity mindedness or, um, you know, some sort of wound that is keeping you from trying. Um, but, but there is like beauty and freedom on the other side. So if you're listening and you've, struggled to get your website updated because that developer that you paid six years ago has had a complete 100% staff turnover, doesn't exist, whatever it is. Like, listen, there's a, there's a better way. You don't, have to, you don't have to call Joe to get your website updated. There's a better way, even with Joe, right? It doesn't have to be independent of Joe, the web guy. He can be involved, but it's just that little extra piece of empowerment. Um, and maybe it's empowering a junior person on your team. And instead of kind of hoarding that power or worrying that because you're only paying them $24,000 a year, you can't put another thing on their plate, they might find great joy in getting to own a piece of this tech, especially um, people who grew up in kind of a more tech literate era. So it's I, I, I echo what Mitch said and remind people listening, if you're listening to this and you say something's not your job, make sure that someone on the org chart, it is their job, or look in the mirror and realize it's yours. <laughs> it is yours. You just haven't claimed it yet. 
this conversation, ooh, I want to spin it in so many different directions. Uh, great stuff. And um, so the first rabbit hole I want to go down um, based on all of this is, yeah, even for mid and, and large organizations that have an IT department, um, you know, I've seen organizations or the IT department step in and say, hey, we're the ones that are going to select technology. And I'm like, well, not so fast. What do you know about peer-to-peer fundraising, for example? Or what do you know, you know, about grant management, you know, and you need to make sure you have the requirements. Sure, you probably know an RFP process if you want to go down that road, but is an RFP process even necessary, i.e. pond, right? <laughs> a much um, more sane way, I think, of, of finding, um, you know, the right solution. But it starts with making sure you have your requirements, right? And is the IT department, um, if you have one, gonna be the best source of that? Absolutely not. They might have the best process or they might have a process for you to consider in the selection criteria, but the, the requirements have to come from the people um, using it and the ones that are, their jobs are tied to those objectives and goals, right? I think a great metaphor here is the um, accounting procedures the commonly accepted accounting procedures for nonprofits and for-profits are different. A great CPA knows the differences. A, a great for-profit CPA might, know, might, might not know the differences. And I've seen this come up on a lot of boards where a new CPA joins and is like, hey, everything about your accounting is wrong. And then the executive director has to educate them on the fact that there are some nuances in nonprofit accounting. It's the same thing. Are you an expert in the field generally? Are you an expert in the field specifically? And how can you make collaborative decisions with the expert in kind of this niche and the expert in the mission? I'm so glad you flagged that. I think that's a great point. Yeah, and, and I think something that we did, and Kristen brought up the tech audit earlier, uh, and you know we've a tech startup. We we certainly have engineers on our team, um, but we went through our list of tools and platforms we used as a company and actually like designated a captain um, and like a, a lieutenant on every single core platform that we use. And one of them needed to be non-technical. And so I, I think that level of ownership on, you know, assessing even if this is the continued right thing, what are we using it for? Um, regularly checking in on, you know, what were our goals with this thing? Is, is it achieving them? If not, what are the alternatives? How are people using it? What are, what are the, um, the rules of the road we want to abide by for this tool in terms of, you know, compliance and accountability and even, you know, with communication tools like, do you uh, use this to bother someone on the weekend or is that meant for another channel that doesn't notify, you know, like that level of detail and ownership and making it shared between tech and non-tech, I think develops a lot of that too, Mark, where it kind of forces people um, whether it's a major system or not, you still want to be thoughtful and like, why do we use this? What's it for? Is it achieving that thing? And who's kind of owning that? I like it. Yeah. You start thinking about things. Uh, my, my head automatically, as you're saying that spins off to things like Slack and teams and, and all of that. And, you know, what are the run rules for that? And I, I like the idea of having, you know, the SME, the subject matter expert, but also the other you know, person as uh, kind of uh, uh, another star to guide the, the direction of this thing. I like that a lot. And as new people join, you you know, you assume that per new person knows how you all use Slack. And like, 
they might not like, you know, they get a message and think they need to respond in two seconds on a Friday night and not, Hey, actually no, our team culture with Slack is that it's not a place you have to respond, you know, immediately or whatever. I'm using one specific example, but with tech being so pervasive and all of us working in some level of hybrid remote in-person capacity, do your, do your new joiners a favor and kind of codify what you're using and why and how, uh, so that people don't trip up. And then, you know, especially if you don't have the good communication to call them out or call them in or give feedback, you know, they could all of a sudden be veering off the path of good performance to like, you know, really no fault of their own. Great point. Yeah. Um, you know, and when it comes to tech, I, I see some organizations that are, are sometimes looking at like the latest cool thing, you know, maybe it's AI, um, you know, data, you know, enrichment, um, products, wealth screening, all, all of those types of things, which are, are great and very powerful and a lot of great options out there, both high cost, low cost. Well, I'm not sure if low cost is ever an existing thing, but lower, <laughs> um, more lower moderate, cost. lower cost options. Um, so there's definitely different sizes for everybody. But then I, I, I talk to them and find out that, you know, they don't even have some of the basic setup, like, you know, dynamic asked in their donation forms based on past giving, you know, even truly mining the data they have. So, you know, do you have any advice or, you know, thoughts around, I mean, obviously with Pond, you're helping people find the right technology, but what about even just maximizing what you're doing or making sure you even have the bases covered um, to start with? Sorry, Chris. <laughs> Sorry, Kristen, do you want to go ahead? No, no it's okay. I as the champion of tech within at this point five different nonprofits that could not have been more different as the cheerleader champion um person who's like dragging everyone else along upfront investment is massively massively important and i don't necessarily mean money but you'd much rather bring in a consultant if that's the right move on day 1 especially a consultant, if you can find one who has side along experience in change management. So you have implementation of the tool, but also someone who can help you navigate through changing the way that you do something. Um, it is massively important on the front end to invest. And I think the other thing, if you're a leader listening to this, is if there's a new tool allowing iteration and experimentation especially because as nonprofits, the likelihood, especially if you're a mid-range or small, the likelihood that, you can, that you're able to afford all of the bells and whistles is low. Um, so so uh, Salesforce with everything is the easiest tool in the world to use. Salesforce at the nonprofit enterprise level is one of the hardest tools to use. You're going to have to experiment and iterate to shove your nonprofit into some of these tools. And so allowing iteration, allowing experimentation, not writing the rule book on day one, maybe writing a rule book six months in, revising that rule book a year in, and trusting that the rule book is a moving, changing document, especially because a lot of these tools are getting updated monthly, biannually. You know? um, so those would be my two pieces of advice as someone who's done it, is new tech, even something small, and Mitch mentioned this with rules of the road, requires change management. If you're used to running out of a spreadsheet that you control completely and suddenly everyone has access to your data at a company, that is a massive change. That is, in, you know, that is a sea change in a culture. 
So to, to recognize that change management is, I mean, there's people that are paid millions of dollars to manage change. So it shouldn't be easy. You have to pour into it um, and to, to invest that time and energy up front. And I know Mitch has some thoughts here too. Yeah, I think change before Mitch, uh, you jump in. I think I'm glad, so glad you mentioned change management because it's so often kind of an afterthought and making sure that you have everybody's buy-in, all the stakeholders that are going to use whatever the platform is or be enriched by it and, and have their, their goals and objectives affected by it needs to be involved in the process and therefore much more likely to embrace that change. You know, that's just a foundational piece that so many miss, but I, I love the way you, you, you talked about, you know, putting together a rule book and making sure you're revising it because things always are changing and your goals are always changing and your processes are always changing. And, you know, hopefully the technology is also changing too, right? So you need to make sure you're updating that along the way. Yeah. And I think change management, um, it's relevant no matter the size of the organization, but particularly within a larger one um, and particularly in nonprofits where it's no secret to anyone, turnover is an, is an extreme problem folks deal with. Um, getting people excited or interested in the change management is, is a hurdle. And I've heard um, from a really awesome nonprofit leader actually based in, in New York City that I've worked with, uh, that they throw a party for their staff whenever that, which became like a virtual party where they had, you know, some like sweets delivered to everyone's home to like celebrate together during COVID. But whenever there was like a new tool or a new thing people were learning or, um, you know, kind of all needed to hold hands on, um, they made it interesting and exciting and a time for people to get together and celebrate it as like a step forward for the organization. Whereas there's for oftentimes if you don't intentionally set the tone around change management, it can often be like, oh God, it's just other new thing and I'm gonna have to learn this all new system. And there's a lot of, of anxiety that real anxiety produced around that um, that could be informed by, you know, past uh, you know, negative experiences that you don't even know about from, you know, baggage from individuals on your team. And so I think setting that tone of, of really holding hands around the change is key um, whenever you're going through, you know, a new adoption, in addition to getting the spending the time and getting the right expertise. Um, the other thing I was going to mention, Mark, on your original question around, like, if things are going kind of out of order. <laughs> I think that the tech audit is a good, I know we brought that up a few times, but having that all laid out will hopefully for a lot of people staring at it, because it's easy to get excited about like, oh, I heard about this new AI tool that like is going to tell us what donors to talk to. And so now, uh, you know, it's going to like make our job so much more effective, but maybe you're missing the low hanging fruit of like, you know, you, you, you have a PayPal button that's not in core, in, integrated into your core website. You know, it's like, right. okay, like I'm so glad. And I don't want to dis, like disparage or discourage those people that get it, that are excited about something new because that's like, that's a good energy and a good passion to have. Um, and so you don't want to like take that away from them, but you know, would also encourage to be like, look at, look at what you have. Is that like the highest value change or thing to investigate? Um, and that's why getting back to what we said earlier around like, yeah, go learn about the things, like engage with what's out there, be aware, and then you'll be able to be like, okay, that's, you know, that could be a $10,000 investment. And there's this free thing we could do on our website that might increase donor conversion by 20%. You know, let's, let's weigh those options and where we want to spend our time and energy out the gate as we're moving down this, this path of better tech and better tech usage, because it doesn't stop with that one thing. Like you can still get to 
that shiny tool, but it's kind of like building the foundation to get there is important. So I, I think the audit and awareness are, are the two key pieces of the right prioritization between them. I like it. And, um, you know, a method we, I'm always saying, you know, crawl, walk, run, right? You know, make sure you get the basics down right. And I think that's the theme we've been kind of talking about throughout this is, you know, make sure your your website's easy to navigate, make sure that you're, you're, um, there's no hurdles to, to being able to make a donation. And that may, you know, it should definitely include looking at your donation form from an outsider's perspective and seeing, you know, does it look safe? Does it, you know, resemble your main website? And, and will someone feel comfortable donating to it? And, and then kind of, you know, take it to the next level, may, you know, whatever that platform or process is crawl walk run the first time you know we ever talked to anybody about doing a peer-to-peer -peer campaign you know great you want to do all these awesome things i think you should but let's make sure we get the basics down first um, and it's really easy for people to register and donate right and then let's add all, all the bells and whistles around that um, could all happen in the first season um, if you have the time and or budget or both, um, but make sure you focus on the fundamentals before you go too far, right? Yeah, yeah. one thing that I'd raise on that point, Mark, which is a, a startup lesson, which is super relevant in the nonprofit world, whether tech-based or not, is just the concept of product market fit. Um, and you know, if, if anyone's heard of the lean startup is kind of like part of the canon now around uh, startup literature, um, but the core concept is like, how can you test? So that's amazing. You've got a great idea. We're, everyone's really excited about your idea, um, whether that's for a brand new organization or a new fundraiser or a new program, like it, it can scale to all different levels. What are the ways you can test behavior around that idea with the smallest amount of investment possible of time, energy, money, whatever? Um, and so I think this is super relevant with fundraising events, right? Where it's like a lot of people feel the pressure to like we need to have this big bang success and a thousand people there and raise a million dollars it's going to be so great and it's like okay but if you're stepping outside of what you've done before what are ways you can is there can you do a smaller starter event to just like do people like doing a physical activity together do they bring their friends is there a super low cost platform you could test out um when you're getting started before you go into the one year planning cycle around a bike ride across america um that's something that I would just really encourage anyone, whether it's tech-based or not, find, and we've made this mistake, like every startup has probably made this mistake to some extent, where we built a whole platform that we spent six months on um, that we couldn't get people engaged in because we didn't really understand the problem of why they weren't engaging in tech. And it was a necessary step. We learned that we needed to actually save them time, give them funding, provide more expertise and generate more trust in how they engage with outside vendors, which is how we you know, evolved Pond. But I, if I could save people the trouble of finding those simpler ways to test, that is just so key to long-term success. I like it. And yeah, you hit one of my, my, um, my, the, the key points that I always say, you know, you happen to mention a cycling event across the country. Yeah. Don't start with cyclists. If you're starting a new campaign, cause I, I, they're passionate and I, I love cyclists, but they're going to be, you know, the most technical people you deal with and they're going to have high expectations. And so if you're testing out anything new, make sure you have your game together because, you know, if you're not a techie, well, guess what? They probably are. And I know I'm kind of, grouping them all together, but that's just a, uh, another way of me bringing up, you know, 
if you're not technical, well, guess what? Your constituents may or may not be. And we, we hear all the time, I'm still hearing, oh, our, 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 you know, the persona of our um, uh, attendees or people are going to um, be involved in this campaign are, are older and they're not very tech savvy. Well, you might want to give them a little bit more credit than, they, than you currently are. And they probably have higher expectations for what you're giving them than, than you might have yourself. Yeah. And I, but what you both said just highlighted like a, like an adage that, I, and I'll use a personal example here, but uh, networking tools, non uh, tool solutions, technology solutions, they will amplify what's good about your organization and they will amplify what needs work in your organization. It's like a really high quality microphone or, you know, the switch to HD cameras, right? You can hear me better and you can see the zit on my chin better. Um, and so, so it becomes, this is not a substitute for the work. Um, and it is not a substitute for, everyone knows this, right? Social media tools did not make socialization better, period. They made socialization better and they made social, socialization worse because they amplified the good and they amplified the bad. Um, so recognizing that what, what this can create is efficiencies that only tech can create in 2021, um, but it will not solve for the worst problem uh, that your organization has any more than it will uh, you know, take away from the strengths that you already have, which I think people are scared of both of those, right? They, they think it'll solve for the problem and they're scared it'll take away from the good. And the answer is like both and neither, right? It's, it's a tool, just like a hammer is not gonna mow your lawn. It's not, but once you have that hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? <laughs> and so a few years ago, Mitch, kind of putting, kind of bringing this back full circle, um, a few few years ago, you mentioned the peer-to-peer -peer guy that, that we did. You know, I had seen a, a, a kind of a gap um, in the industry where there's all these different peer-to-peer -peer tools. And that's just, like you said, one point solution, right? There's grant management, there's accounting, there's CRMs, there's, there's all these different things. There's well screening. Um, and this is one area I thought I, you know, I had a bit of expertise on. So I put the, the first guide together and then we've done a, another version. Now we're going to do an online version of this um, to help people with their selection process a little bit. But I think you and the Pond team really take it to the next level. And I love what you're doing. So if you can just kind of describe again, kind of how Pond works with the ecosystem to help folks find technology, I think that'd be really helpful. Yeah, I'll give a quick um, overview and then I'll also invite Kristen to add on too. But uh, I think that what's really different about the Pond model is every other shopping experience is relying upon an assumption that the shopper has the time and capacity and money and awareness to go seek out the things that are out there and determine what they need to buy. And I, and I think whether that's a review site that lists a bunch of options for something, um, or, you know, a blog post that says, here's 10 peer, peer to peer platforms, which like you can never really trust what, like who is saying these things and who has paid for them to be there. There's just, it's a lot of, um, you know, it's a lot of information that's not super trustworthy and there's tons of it. There's so much noise. And so Pond really flips this on its head to say, well, what if those companies could shop for you, but do it in a way that centers your needs, values your time, protects your identity and, and creates a safe space for you so that you're incentivized as a nonprofit leader to share more information 
You can do it anonymously. It doesn't disclose, you know, your organization's name or who you are, but it just gives you a space to type out those four sentences you just wish you could put into Google and tell, have the, Google tell you exactly the thing, but it's not going to give you any real answer. Um, so that's what you can do on Pond. You create a free profile, free listing. It takes two to three minutes to set it up. Uh, and um, when you do that, you then get back to work. And we basically canvas the vendor space out there to see if anyone looks at that and says, hey, I solved that problem. We provide that exact kind of auction tool. We help with grants management. We help with data analytics. Uh, we help with volunteers. You know, As you mentioned, there's probably like 100 different categories of tools with hundreds of constituents of things. Um, so putting the work on them to find the right potential customer uh, and they can put in a request to chat. And if the nonprofit wants to, it's totally up to them. They get to decide if they want to opt into a meeting to learn more about the solution. But if they do, uh, they get $100 in their account, which they can build up a balance over time to ultimately help fund these tools that are so difficult to get the funding for. That's that's great. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's just a, a terrific model for, for folks to kind of find the technology they need in a, a different way without having to do all, all the, the running around. And like you said, yeah, I mean, I've seen some, some pretty interesting posts where one group um, says the top 10 of something. And I'm like, wait, that, that company doesn't even do that. <laughs> or, or they are a company, an organization that does that, but wow, they're not even, you know, in the top, you know, they don't even offer most of the features that are most organizations are going to need. So yeah, I like that approach. Uh, it definitely brings a different model to it. Um, so yeah, as we're wrapping up here, I mean, we could, I could continue talking all day about this stuff and thank you so much for joining me, but I, I think we do need to wrap up at some point. So, you know, any final thoughts um, on all of the, the tech um, talk that we've been, any, any last words of wisdom? Um, Mitch, you want to go first? Yeah, uh, I just said two things I wanted to be sure and raise, uh, which I think get missed commonly in, in the space. But I, we had an event last week in Philadelphia. We're getting nonprofits together, kind of part of the Pond community. It was great. And it, what I loved most and the, the most striking moment of it was in a conversation circle with a person that worked in alumni relations at a really large university, a person who worked in a local chapter for a national nonprofit, but pretty autonomous locally, and someone that ran a really grassroots small community center, like a one-person executive director with volunteers. And like, as we talked about what Pond did and the issues around technology, it was like the three of them all shared a very similar experience around like, yeah, sure, we have more time and, and, and t people and money, but like none of us want to be spending that scouring the internet for the options, building these lists of what things are, trying to figure out what they do. Like we all have more better things we can be doing. And I think a lot of people want to put those personas in a box and say like, oh, well, you know, the American Red Cross would never need to use this platform or they, they must not have any challenges figuring out what tech to use for different needs or in different departments. And you're like, it's a very shared experience. So I know we touched on a lot of different types of people and challenges they face around nonprofits and technology. Just wanna reiterate that this is relevant and useful and time-saving for everyone. Um, and the second thing I would just say is for, no matter the camp you're in, the, the persona, I'm putting air quotes around that because it's more of, <laughs> it's a real person. It's not just a persona. That is, we see you out there. Uh, no matter your identity in this landscape, it just starts with a small step. It's like diet or exercise. If you all of a sudden are like, okay, I'm 
going to get my master's in IT and so I can help my mission better. It's like, no, no, <laughs> like, let's take one small step together. Uh, you know, you're going to plan that workout you're going to do tomorrow. You're going to create your pond listing and just get started and dip your toe. Do the one small thing to move forward and get engaged and build on that over time. I like it. I like it. And and uh, Christian, anything else? Uh, any final thoughts? Words of wisdom? Any more Ariana Grande references? Uh. Um, well, actually, <laughs> the one small step is a My Little Pony song, uh, which my sons are very interested in right now. I will spare the audience me singing it, although it is taking literally all of my physical strength not to sing it right now, because that's the sort of person I am. Um, but what, what I would add is you are lucky. You are lucky because everything comes back to your mission. So that is your superpower. That is your tool. When you're analyzing whether you want to break up with the tech tool, or if you want to get in a new relationship with a tech tool, you have a superpower that non-impact oriented for-profits lack when they're assessing these tools. They're saying, is this helping our sales team sell more? And even if the answer is um, incrementally yes, they're keeping that tool. You have an answer that is so much more profound to tie all of your questions to. So you start with a small thing and at every step you're saying, you know, if your area of, of impact and passion is racial justice, am I serving this mission better because I'm on Slack on Saturday at 10 p.m.? You know, you, you have that extra pair of glasses to look at everything through. And that is the most important thing. And we never forget that at Pond. Um, we know that most tech providers that are specific to the nonprofit sector don't want to ever forget that either. So remember that your mission is your superpower and that no tool is going to replace that. Um, that can't be automated away. AI can't tell your story to donors better than you can, but these are tools that are going to help you maximize your time, your energy, and your money. And we know that those are the three scarcest resources that you have. So we wish you luck out there in the in, in the tech ocean, for sure. I, I like it. Yeah, great. Great message. And yeah, I would just, uh, my final thing I would say is just, you know, remember or, or try to think of if you don't currently that technology, um, those vendors are, are your partners. And if they're not, then find the ones that will be because they're in it for the right reasons in most cases as well. Um, there's sure there's ones that their primary thing is, is money, but there's a whole lot of us that are out here for the right reasons, trying to help organizations do better uh, and do more to reach their missions and uh, think of us as partners. And even if you're not currently working with a vendor, um, they're probably going to be very helpful um, and if you know, in helping you answer questions along the way. So don't be afraid to ask and don't feel like, you know, every, every time you reach out to a vendor, you're going to, you know, it's going to cost you money. We're, we're all here to help. Um, and if we're not, we won't last long. Um, and uh, you'll know who those are, um, but <laughs> we're like um, we're snapping, snapping to Mark's uh, words of wisdom <laughs> for the listeners. <laughs> well, yeah, you guys have inspired me today. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, check out joinpond.com um, to learn more about what they're doing over there. I think they're doing great things. Kudos to you guys, um, Kristen and Mitch. Thank you so much for joining Sorry. me today. One Some. small thing doesn't seem like a lot. <laughs> I love it. She couldn't help herself. All right. Thanks, guys. 
Thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Nonprofit Voice. You can listen to more episodes of The Nonprofit Voice at nonprofitpro.com slash podcast slash the hyphen nonprofit hyphen voice. And remember, for your convenience, you can stream any and all episodes of The Nonprofit Voice on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify.